This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome everyone to episode 60 of Ohio Unsolved, and welcome back from our week off. I'm your host, Matthew, and I've got a bit of news before today's episode. First, the January Patreon-exclusive bonus episode is a little late, but it will be out tomorrow morning, so make sure you give it a listen. Also, a few episodes ago, I talked about an unsolved murder of Judith Zagara. Well, they have organized a uh, memorial service for her on March 5th, if anyone would like to attend and pay their respects. Now let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Samuel Little, born June 7, 1940, was an American serial killer who confessed to murdering 93 women between 1970 and 2005. In 2014, he was convicted of the murders of Linda Alford, Guadalupe Apicata, and Audrey Nelson Everett, and in 2018, for the murder of Denise Christie Brothers, as well as several others in 2019. The FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Program has confirmed Little's involvement in at least 60 of the 93 confessed murders. The largest number of confirmed victims for any serial killer in United States history. Samuel Little was born as Samuel McDowell on June 7, 1940 in Reynolds, Georgia. Little claimed that his mother, Bessie Mae Little, was a teenage prostitute and that she had abandoned him. Authorities believe that Little's mother may have given birth to him while she was in jail. The census from the year that he was born said that Bessie Mae worked as a maid and that his father was 19-year-old Paul McDowell. Soon after his birth, Little's family moved to Lorraine, Ohio, 
where he was brought up mainly by his grandmother. He attended Hawthorne Junior High School, where he had problems with discipline and achievement. By his own account, he began having sexual fantasies about strangling women as a child, starting when he saw his kindergarten teacher touch her neck. As a teenager, he collected true crime magazines depicting women being choked. In 1956, after being convicted of breaking and entering into property in Omaha, Nebraska, Little was held in an institution for juvenile offenders. His mother was listed on the booking card as whereabouts unknown. Little then moved to Florida to live with his mother in the late 1960s, and by his own account, he was working at various times as a cemetery worker and an ambulance attendant. He said that he then began traveling more widely and had more run-ins with the law, being arrested in eight states for crimes that included driving under the influence, fraud, shoplifting, solicitation, armed robbery, aggravated assault, and rape. Little claimed that he took up boxing during his time in prison, referring to himself as a former prize fighter. In 1961, Little was sentenced to three years in prison for breaking into a furniture store in Lorraine. He was released in 1964. By 1975, he had been arrested 26 times in 11 states for crimes including theft, assault, attempted rape, fraud, and attacks on government officials. In 1982, he was then arrested in Mississippi and charged with the murder of 22-year-old Melinda Rose LaPree, who had gone missing in September of that year. A grand jury declined to indict him for her murder. However, while under investigation, Little was extradited to Florida and tried for the murder of 26-year-old Patricia Ann Mount, whose body was found in September 1982. Prosecution witnesses identified Little in court as a person who spent time with Mount on the night before her disappearance. Due to mistrust of witness testimonies, Little was acquitted in January of 1984. He then moved to California, where he stayed in the vicinity of San Diego. In October of 84, he was arrested for kidnapping, beating, and strangling 22-year-old Lori Barros, who survived. One month later, he was found by police in the backseat of his car with an unconscious woman, also beaten and strangled, in the same location as the attempted murder of Barros. Little served two and a half years in prison for both crimes. Upon his release in February of 1987, he immediately moved to Los Angeles and committed at least 10 additional murders. Little was arrested on September 5, 2012 at a homeless shelter in Louisville, Kentucky and extradited to California to face a narcotics charge, after which authorities used DNA testing to establish that he was involved in the murders of Linda Alford, killed on July 13, 1987. Guadalupe Apodaca, killed on September 3, 1987, and Audrey Nelson Everett, killed on August 14, 1989. All three women were killed and later found on the streets of Los Angeles. 
He was extradited to L.A., where he was charged on January 7, 2013. A few months later, the police said that Little was being investigated for involvement in three dozen murders committed in the 1980s, which until then had been undisclosed. In connection with the new circumstances in Mississippi, the Lapree murder case was reopened. In total, Little was tested for involvement in 93 murders of women committed in many U.S. states. Little was tried for the murders of Alfred Nelson and Apodica in September of 2014. The prosecution presented the DNA evidence as well as testimony of witnesses who were attacked by the accused at different times throughout his criminal career. On September 25, 2014, Little was found guilty and was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. On the day of the verdict, Little continued to insist on his innocence. Before his death, he was serving his sentence at the California State Prison, Los Angeles County. On November 9, 2018, Little confessed to the 1996 fatal strangulation of Melissa Thomas. And then on November 13, 2018, he was charged with the 1994 murder of Denise Christie Brothers in Odessa, Texas, after having confessed the crime to a Texas Ranger in May of 2018. He pled guilty to the murder of Brothers on December 13th and received another life sentence. The Ector County, Texas District Attorney and Wise County, Texas Sheriff's Office announced on November 13th that Little had confessed to dozens of murders and may have committed more than 90 across 14 states between 1970 and 2005. On November 15th, 2018, the Russell County, Alabama District Attorney announced that Little had earlier that month confessed to the 1979 murder of 23-year-old Brenda Alexander, whose body was found in Phoenix City, Alabama. On November 16, 2018, Macon, Georgia's sheriffs announced that Little had credibly confessed to the 1977 strangling murder of an unidentified woman and the 1982 strangling murder of 18-year-old Fredonia Smith. In the fall of 2018, Little confessed to the 1982 murder of 55-year-old Dorothy Richards and the 96 murder of 40-year-old Daisy McGuire. Both of their bodies were found in Huma, Louisiana. On November 19, 2018, Harrison County, Mississippi Sheriff Troy Peterson said that Little had confessed to strangling 36-year-old Julia Critchfield in the Gulfport area in 1978 and dumping her body off of a cliff. On November 20, 2018, Lee County, Mississippi law enforcement officials announced that he had admitted to killing 46-year-old Nancy Carol Stevens in Tupelo, Mississippi in 2005, and that the case would be presented to a grand jury in January of 2019. On November 21, 2018, Richland County, South Carolina authorities 
announced that Little had confessed to murdering 19-year-old Evelyn Weston, whose body was found near Fort Jackson, South Carolina, in 1978. He also confessed to having killed 20-year-old Rosie Hill in Marion County, Florida, in 1982. On November 27, 2018, the FBI announced that a violent criminal apprehension program team had confirmed 34 of his confessions and was working to match the remainder of his confessions to known murders or suspicious deaths. Little began making the confessions in exchange for a transfer out of the Los Angeles County Prison in which he was being held. One included his confession to a previous cold case homicide in Prince George's County, Maryland, previously one of only two homicide cases in that county with unidentified victims. In December of 2018, he was indicted for strangling Linda Sue Boards to death in May of 1981 in Warren County, Kentucky. Her body was found on May 15, 1981, near U.S. Route 68. One of his victims was identified in December of 2018 as Martha Cunningham of Knox County, Tennessee, who was 34 years old when he murdered her in 1975. On May 31, 2019, Cuyahoga County, Ohio prosecutors announced indictments with four counts of aggravated murder and six counts of kidnapping that accused Little of killing Mary Jo Payton in 1984 and Rose Evans in 1991 in Cleveland. Both victims were strangled and dumped. The body of Rose Evans was found on August 24, 1991 in a vacant lot on East 39th Street. She left her hometown of Binghamton, New York when she was 17. Evans had been strangled, according to Coroner Elizabeth Balrage. As for Peyton, an anthropologist had to create a model of what she looked like, but she remained unidentified until 1992 when Cleveland put her thumbprint into an FBI database and got a match. Little picked up Peyton at a bar near East 105th and Euclid Avenues. He described her as short, plump woman in her 20s with brown hair. He confessed to killing another Cleveland woman in 1977 or 78. The woman murdered in 77 or 78 was found March 18, 1983 in Willoughby Hills, Ohio according to the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System. She was likely black and somewhere between 17 to 35 years old. The woman's body had been dumped down a grassy slope near a fence in a wooded area just off of Interstate 271 when her body was found by a man walking his dog. Only her skeleton and some clothing and jewelry remained. Little confessed to killing one woman in Akron, Ohio, Two in Cincinnati, one of the bodies was dumped outside of Columbus, Ohio, and one woman he met in Columbus and disposed of in Kentucky. Of the two women that Little murdered in Cincinnati, one was identified as Anna Stewart, 33, whose body was dumped in Grove City, Ohio. Stewart was last seen October 6, 1981, getting out of a cab at General Hospital to see her sister. 
She was killed on October 11th. He killed the other women between 1980 and 1999. The Jane Doe was anywhere from 15 to 50, as the details of her age and the date of her murder were unclear. She was black, slender, wore glasses, and lived in the over-the-Rhine neighborhood of Cincinnati with a heavy female Hispanic. Little left her beside a cigarette billboard in Ohio. On June 7, 2019, he was indicted in Hamilton County, Ohio, for murdering the two women killed in Cincinnati. Little had drawn portraits of many women he killed. These portraits were released by the FBI in hopes of someone identifying the women. At least one portrait solved a cold case in Akron. In November of 2020, he confessed to two Florida murders, for one of which another man had been wrongfully convicted. And then on April 22, 2022, a woman little killed in Memphis, Tennessee, whose body was found on the Arkansas side of the Mississippi River in 1990, was identified as 30-year-old Zena Marie Jones. Little admitted to more than 93 different murders in total, and 60 deaths have been formally connected to him by the police. The majority of his victims were prostitutes, drug addicts, or homeless women, and most of them were female. He claimed, though, that he thought these persons would leave fewer, fewer clues for authorities to find and leave fewer persons to search for them. However, despite the scope of his offending, in total, he was only charged and convicted for eight murders. Annalise Stewart was murdered October 11, 1981, in Cincinnati, Ohio. He strangled her and disposed of her body in the woods behind some apartments off of Queen Anne Place in Grove City. He was convicted of her murder on August 23, 2019. Mary Jo Payton, 21, was murdered sometime in 1984 after she encountered Little at a bar in Cleveland, Ohio. Little claimed that he and Payton left the bar together and that he took her to an abandoned factory. He choked her there before throwing her lifeless body down a basement staircase. Two workers from a nearby company discovered her dead on July 3, 1984. A few weeks later, he was convicted of the murder on August 23, 2019. Carol Linda Alford, 41, was murdered by Little in Los Angeles, California. Authorities discovered Little's first DNA match on her underwear and under her fingernails. On July 13, 1987, her body was discovered in a Los Angeles alley. From the waist down, she was nude. Her daughter recognized her body. She had been also been forcefully strangled to death, an autopsy indicated. She also experienced other wounds, such as punch-related head injury from blunt force, and Little was found guilty of the crime on September 25, 2014. Guadalupe uh, Apodaca, I cannot say this name, Apodaca, 46, was found on September 3, 1989 at an abandoned auto repair shop in Los Angeles, California, after a boy kicking a soccer ball against the building peered into the windows and saw her lifeless body. Authorities determined that Little kneeled on her chest and strangled her with his hands, causing her to have a seizure. 
She was nude from the waist down and had blood in her anal cavity as well. DNA linked Little to the crime, and he was convicted on September 25, 2014. Audrey Nelson Everett, 35, was found in a dumpster behind a nightclub in a restaurant in L.A. on August 14, 1989. There was nothing found that could be used to identify her body, which was naked from the waist down. She had been repeatedly hit in the head before being forcefully strangled, according to an autopsy. Additionally, she had, quote, road burns that suggested that she had been pulled on a hard surface, most likely before she passed away, as well as a smashed spinal bone. Bruises on her belly that were also suggestive of punching and injuries on her back. According to the coroner's testimony, the woman had serious injuries from strangulation and a stomach injury that showed a sign of considerable force. He continued, These signs of force are the greatest that I have seen in a 27-year practice in a county which has its share of strangulation cases. DNA under her fingernails linked little to the crime, and he was convicted on September 25, 2014. Zena Marie Jones, 30, was a woman found murdered in West Memphis, Arkansas on July 28, 1990. After going missing on July 6th from Memphis, Tennessee, on the Arkansas side of the Mississippi River close to the shore, and about 8 feet from the, the river's mile marker 722, a fisherman discovered the victim. Little admitted to killing her and provided a sketch in 2018. He claimed she was a prostitute who was between the ages of 28 and 29 and that he had picked her up at a Memphis, Tennessee motel. As a Memphis police car passed him, he choked her while they were in his car. The victim was then dropped into the river once he entered Arkansas and pulled up to a bridge. On August 23, 2019, he was found guilty of her homicide. She was identified in April of 2022 after her family noticed a resemblance between the composite sketch drawn by Little and her. Rose Evans, 32, was murdered in Cleveland, Ohio on or around August 24, 1991. Little encountered Evans while driving and offered her a ride. Then, in an abandoned area, he strangled her in his car before dumping her body in a lot and covering it with two tires. He was convicted of her murder on August 23, 2019. Denise Christie Brothers, 32, was a mother of two who was found killed in Odessa, Texas on February 2, 1994. Brothers had been reported missing on January 1, 1994. According to the district attorney, she had been strangled. Little pled guilty of killing her receiving its fourth life sentence for it on December 13, 2018. Little had a long-term girlfriend, Jean Dorsey, since deceased, who supported them both through shoplifting for years. On May 28, 1971, he was arrested in Cleveland with his girlfriend at the time, Lucy Madreo, and they were charged with robbery of a gas station. While in jail, Lucy confided in her cellmate, Dorsey, that she would be testifying against Little in the subsequent robbery case. 
1972, when the case went to trial, Lucy did in fact testify against Little, but his defense team was able to plan for it with help from information passed on by Dorsey. Little was eventually found not guilty. Dorsey and Little were together until she died of natural causes, a brain hemorrhage, in Los Angeles in 1988. She was 27 years older than Little. Little died on December 30, 2020, in a Los Angeles County area hospital. Although California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation sources indicate no cause of death, Little suffered from diabetes, heart problems, and other health conditions. I can only say good riddance to a man like that. To have carelessly murdered that many people over the years, I'm glad that he died in jail and was never a free man again. Now, our next and final story comes from YourGhostStories.com and is about one person's encounter with a possible demon. It's been about 30 years ago when I was 13, but I remember this story like it was yesterday. I was a somewhat rebellious teenager and I'd always been interested in the supernatural. In addition to doing typical rebellious teenage things like sneaking out, skipping class, I also started listening to heavy metal music, and I still do. The difference at that point in my life is that I started getting deeper and deeper into devil-worshipping music, not satanic. I was raised as a Christian and still attended church on most Sundays due to my parents forcing me to go. I never believed that much, which is part of the reason I think I started going down the path that I took. The more I listened to these bands and lyrics, the more fascinated I became with the occult, specifically devil worship. Being the dumb and naive kid that I was, I began praying to Satan. I had no idea what I was doing. I would just close my eyes and pray to him. I would ask for things that were on the more sinister side, which I won't discuss, and I would ask for him to reveal himself to me show me a sign that he could hear me. Over the course of a few months, I literally began to feel myself change mentally. I began having more and more evil thoughts, and I started fighting with my parents, who were actually pretty great parents, more often. I knew that I wasn't my normal self, but I also justified everything in my head to normalize my thoughts and actions. The more evil I felt, the harder and more often I prayed to Satan, until one night and morning changed me to this day. It was a school night, so I said my normal nighttime prayers before going to bed. Sometime around 2 to 3 a.m., I awoke from a deep sleep. I wasn't having any nightmares or dreaming. I just suddenly woke up with a strong feeling that something or someone was watching me. It wasn't a good feeling in the slightest bit. Whatever it was felt evil and malicious. I didn't feel any temperature changes, and I didn't hear a thing. It was just a feeling. I was in bed, facing the wall, so my back was turned toward my bedroom door. I was scared, but I had to look to hopefully calm myself down and realize that it was all in my head. I slowly rolled over 
and standing in my doorway was the silhouette of a man wearing a suit and a fedora-type hat holding a briefcase. Although I couldn't see his facial features clearly, I could vaguely see the outline of a neatly trimmed beard as well. Based on my doorway, I would estimate that he was 5 foot 10 or so. He just stood there staring at me. So I rolled over and closed my eyes, scared to death, but I still felt his presence. I wasn't dreaming, and I never went back to sleep for the rest of the night. Hours later, I finally rolled back over and he was gone, but the door was still open. Since it was a school day, I needed to take a shower which was downstairs. I was still so scared about what I may see around every corner that I literally ran to the shower and I went as fast as I could. As hard as I tried, I could never even close my eyes because I was afraid of seeing him again and I was afraid of what I might see after opening them. I ran back upstairs to my brother's room who slept across the hall from me and wouldn't leave his side which was extremely unusual for me. I asked him if he heard anything that night, or ever got up for any reason, and he denied it. I could tell that he wasn't lying. He began to know something wasn't right with me based on my actions, questions, and probably knew how I looked. I can't remember what I said when he asked what was wrong, but it wasn't the truth. My brother had recently got his license, and we went to the same school, so he drove me every morning. As we headed to school, about a 30-minute drive through all urban areas, such as neighborhoods, strip malls, etc., I just looked straight ahead, like in the house and shower. I was afraid to look anywhere else but what was right in front of me. At some point, we reached a red light, and like in bed, I had that same feeling that I was being watched. Once again, I had to look to hopefully give myself comfort that it was all in my head but boy was I wrong. It still creeps me out as I type this, but standing there on the corner, about 15 to 20 feet from my window, was a man wearing a dark gray suit with a fedora-type hat and closely shaped beard while holding a briefcase staring right at me. I almost had a heart attack and I whipped my head around to look straight ahead again. Seeing him literally took my breath away, like someone just hit me in the stomach. My brother was obviously oblivious to all of this and listening to the radio loud enough that he probably never heard me gasp. As we drove off, I kept my head straight and shifted my eyes to the passenger side mirror, and I could still see him standing there as he slowly turned his head and never took his eyes off the car until we were out of sight. I was a mess all day. I couldn't concentrate, and I didn't even want to go home. But when we got home later that day, I asked my dad if he ever got up that night for any reason, specifically to check on me, and he said no. He has also never owned, nor has he worn a fedora hat, and I always slept with my door locked. My parents had no idea I had occasionally snuck out at this point, so they had no reason to check on me either. Needless to say, I immediately stopped praying to Satan and even started praying to God, although I wasn't a big believer in either. I also stopped listening to the same music, although ironically, I still listen to some of it to this day. But I took a long break. After another month or so, 
I eventually started feeling normal again, and even my parents commented about how different I seemed during those months that I described above. To this day, I don't know what to think. I'm agnostic for the most part, but atheist every other day. If it weren't for this story, and a few others I'll share, I would be 100% agnostic, but whatever that was, was pure evil. And I don't think that it's a coincidence and I invited it into my life. Part of me wants to blow it off 30 years later and say that it was all in my head. But it happened exactly how I described it, and it wasn't a dream. Even if I rationalize that it was a dream, that doesn't explain the unlocked door or the man on the street. There's too many things that happened for me to think that it wasn't real. Well, that is going to do it for today. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who listens. And if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, a five-star rating really does help others to find us. Also, don't forget to join us on Facebook, follow on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider helping to support the show through Patreon, with monthly bonus episodes being available from the $5 tier. I'm currently looking to buy a new microphone to help improve my audio quality, so hopefully I can get that purchased soon. Once again, thank you all for listening, and make sure to keep those doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio 2.0.